You're listening to Language Nerds to Earth, a podcast about linguistics, culture, travel, and how they're all connected. Now it's time to meet your language nerd hosts. One in China, one in Spain. It's Patrice and Rachel. Hello, everyone. I'm Patrice. And I'm Rachel. And welcome to Language Nerds to Earth. We are back, finally. We're back. We had a little vacay. Well, Patrice had a little vacay. I had quite the vacay. And then Rachel got sick. Wait, what happened last week? Last week, I think it was just my birthday and I was just busy. Oh, yeah. You had a really (laughs) cool birthday. Rachel saw Anastasia in Spanish on the Spanish Broadway, which is really cool. Yeah, it was amazing and really beautiful and mm. yeah, and my mom just told me that it's closing on Broadway or has closed on Broadway. <gasps> I don't remember. <sighs> okay, so you really caught something that you might not have seen in English. Yeah, definitely. Or maybe only the traveling one. Yeah. Anyway, that's awesome. I'm so jealous. Immediately when Rachel told me she saw Anastasia on Broadway, I was like, <gasps> did they sing Once Upon a December? And you were like, yes! <laughs> Una vez en diciembre. <laughs> Una vez en diciembre! Oh, cool. Well, anyway, <clears throat> we are back, and today we are doing episode number 37. Yes, and this is a topic that I think will probably interest a lot of people as... Mm-hmm. It might be relevant in, mm-hmm. if you're listening to this and you're probably yeah. an adult. <laughs> yes, which is, I would say, all of our audience. I would say probably all of our audience, too. There might be some kid, like, loitering. loitering outside our podcast. We're happy to have you, one child who might be listening. Um, <laughs> today we're going to talk about, yes, learning a language as an adult uh, we're going to tell you about language learning apps and our very educated opinions of them and the pros and cons. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to look at the actual research, what it shows about learning a language as an adult. Mm-hmm. And then finally, we're going to give you some tips from our own experiences. Yeah, and then we will hear a Really funny Lost in Translation moment from Alex. Yes. Yes, we have a Lost in Translation moment. We're back with that. But first, we have some language news that's been going around the internet for the last few weeks. Actually, I saw it last week and I thought, we really have to talk about this. (laughs) So, uh, if anybody out there is a parent or a teacher, you've probably heard of Peppa Pig. Mm-hmm. Have you seen Peppa Pig in Spain? Peppa Pig is huge in Spain. It's huge in China as well. I had never heard of it, even before coming to Spain. Like Me neither. It, it must have been... I don't know. But apparently it's also huge in the US. Maybe as teachers we've just had more exposure to it. But So if, for those of you who don't know, Peppa Pig is a British TV series about a pig named Peppa. And she is animated. And her adventures with her friends. Yeah. And they are British. Yes, they are British. 
But apparently the show's been on since 2004. Yeah, that surprised me as well. I was, like, not a child in 2004, but, like, it seems like I might have heard of it. Oh, yeah, good point. I would have been in, like, 10th grade in 2004. I would have been 11, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it wasn't that... It wasn't that far away from our childhood, but I guess it probably took some time for it to go international. And yeah, anyway, the language news is that Peppa Pig is giving American children British accents, and that is hilarious. That is, I mean, first of all, British accents on children is the most like adorable thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Daddy. <laughs> But let's listen to a little clip of Peppa Pig just to give you an idea. It's not very stereotypical, like, really heavy southern England kind of thing. It's just kind of like, Daddy, I can't do yeah. it. So yeah, we'll listen to a little clip. What ice creams would you like? Can I have a cone, please, Miss Rabbit? Of course you may, Peppa. Thank you. The same for me and one for Daddy Pig, please. And what would young Mr. George like? Dinosaur. A dinosaur? Silly George. He always says dinosaur for everything. Well, it just so happens that I do have a dinosaur-shaped ice lolly. (laughs) Dinosaur. You You can tell, like... I mean, it makes sense. Kids imitate what they hear. They're not really scared to do it. Yeah, that is interesting. Because children are much more kind of intuitive, I think, also about language learning, which ties in perfectly to what we're going to talk about later. But yes, um, like they're very good at imitating sounds and Mm -hmm. an accent is, you know, just different sounds said in a different way. So they're trying different ways of saying them, which is pretty cool. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that that's a really good point that it is so related to our topic today. I mean, I can definitely give you a bunch of examples of my friends who try to speak a different language, but they, they speak it in the most American way possible. And I'll be like, why aren't you just doing it with the, with the sounds that you hear? Like, for example, when I was in South Korea, to go downtown... We would get in a cab and we would say, Shine Meliore Gachuseo, which means please go to this hotel called Shine Meliore. But I would hear my friends go, Shine Meliore Gachuseo. And it would be like, why don't you just try, like, put a little bit of Korean into it? And they would, they would say, well, I don't want to make it sound like I'm making fun of them, you know? Really? I've never yeah, that. they said that. Somebody somebody I remember said, I don't want to make fun of them. And I was like, you're not making fun of them. You're putting it in a way that they can understand, you know? Mm-hmm. So anyway, kids aren't afraid of making somebody think that they're making fun of them. It's just not in their schema of the world, I feel like, you know? Yeah, or feeling self-conscious about sounding ridiculous or something. Like if they do it badly. True. Right. They just play around with it until it, you know, until they've done it. Exactly. And I think that's 
the takeaway from this story, besides the fact that it's really cute that there are a bunch of American children walking around speaking in British accents, I think the takeaway here is uh, they're just playing with it, like you said, and they're not afraid to imitate and... That is, that's how you learn a language. That's how you learn right. a language fast. And especially if they're like under five years old, which they probably are if they're watching Peppa Pig, they've pretty recently learned their first language, like in the past couple years. True. So they're very impressionable with mm-hmm. it. Cool. Yeah. So that's the hilarious language news of the week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So let's get into the into the meat of this episode. I don't know. I really want to know your opinions on language learning apps. So I have a little list of pros and cons. Uh-huh. But uh, yeah, why don't you start us off? What do you think? Well, I think they are a very useful tool. Mm-hmm. And I think they're especially useful if you're planning on using a language for like a short period of time for a trip or something and you don't need to become fluent if you're planning on you know trying to order something or just having like a use for your stay in a country then I think they're Mm -hmm. very useful as well uh, if you don't have access to more physical like classes or you know more traditional methods then it's a really good alternative. A lot of them are free and, well, things like Duolingo are free and yeah, they can give you some practice and it could be a good way to get interested in the language as well before you decide like, yes, this is something that I'm going to commit to and I'm going to spend a lot of time, effort and money doing so. Yeah, I totally agree. I think they're very useful as a supplemental tool to traditional language learning and also a great short-term solution for if you're going somewhere and you just need to pick up some basic vocabulary, for example, you know, uh, how much is this? Thank you. Goodbye. Where is the hotel? You Mm -hmm. know, especially travel vocabulary, they can be really useful. Yeah. I think another, another great thing about them. So just backing up a little bit, language learning apps, you already mentioned Duolingo. Another one that I hadn't heard of uh, is called Busu, B-U-S-U-U. And it's been getting a lot of attention lately. Just, uh, it's got a lot of great algorithms, apparently. Mm-hmm. Babbel is one that I've used. Rosetta Stone is expensive, unbelievably expensive for what you get, especially compared to a bunch of free applications these days. Yeah. So for especially that kind of language learning app, one thing is that is they present an opportunity to learn and make mistakes without being embarrassed around people where only you're the one who knows that you made a mistake. So, And then when a machine corrects you, it's not as impactful as if a person, a human being corrects you or a human being doesn't understand what you're saying. <laughs> That's totally true. And that's also something that you have to keep in mind as a teacher, if you're teaching adults, especially, because they are more sensitive to that type of criticism, like making mistakes and seeming foolish, or, you know, they, a lot of times are professionals, they might be higher ups in a company, and they're used to having a lot of responsibility and a lot of 
respect. And Mm -hmm. when they can't make a full sentence in a new language, it can be a little embarrassing. Yeah, they're not used to being wrong, basically, or being called out for being wrong even. Yeah, it's been a long time since they've had that experience, probably. Yeah. Actually, when I was in the States, every once in a while, I would fill in for a German teacher at a corporate class uh, because I worked at a language learning company Mm -hmm. that gave corporate classes. And some of my students were kind of higher up. So I had to be careful as well. But I mean, I think in my experience as a teacher, as long as you make the class, you give the class like a really relaxed feel. I don't think that there are problems. I mean, there might be problems. (laughs) I might be reading the room totally wrong. (laughs) But I think usually, as long as you just kind of establish from the beginning that making mistakes is not only okay, but good because it presents an opportunity to learn, then it's okay. But you really have to take off as much pressure as possible and just say, you're in a different environment now. Now you're learning. So everybody Mm -hmm. relax. (laughs) Yeah, I've never personally had a problem with that. But I know that that can be something that people struggle with. Yeah, definitely. So I, I agree with you. I think that this is a really good option for those who are maybe just starting out and don't want to maybe go through the painful process of like, the beginning steps of learning a language in front of other people. Yeah, yeah, especially at the beginning, especially if you've never learned another language before. Mm-hmm. It can be a lot of pressure. And yeah. It's scary. Yeah, very intimidating, for sure. Another advantage is that you can learn at your own pace and, and, you know, you can do a level as many times as you want. Repetition, repetition. Mm -hmm. It's also helpful for learning new vocabulary, which I have found just by using something like Duolingo or something. I used Duolingo initially, maybe after a couple of years of not studying Italian, and then I wanted to remind myself of the vocabulary and the structures and stuff. And so I had forgotten a lot of vocabulary, but it was really helpful to learn words again or to learn new words, sometimes very random words. I don't know. Have you ever used Duolingo? Mm-hmm. Sometimes they make really random sentences. <sighs> yeah. Well, that's that's how I feel about, like, Rosetta Stone, because mm-hmm. I have I used Rosetta Stone for both French and Korean. I never had a real teacher for either one. I tried, but I never was able to like find a teacher or have a uh, have a class just for various reasons. And so I used Rosetta Stone for both languages. And I was I don't know like I learned how to say things like "There's a man on the roof" in French. <laughs> <laughs> Like, why? Why do I know how to say, like, there's a man on the house or... And then in in Korean, that was another thing is... I think Rosetta Stone didn't really do a good job of teaching me the more common uses of phrases and words. Mm -hmm. It was usually, like, they erred on the side of being more formal. And that's good, but the result is that I kind of came off sounding like a robot sometimes. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense to me. So yeah, right. I did learn new vocabulary, but yeah, it did feel kind of random and Mm -hmm. not really useful all the time. Yeah. Like, why was the 
I don't know, fifth word that I learned, rabbit, you know? (laughs) Yes, why was that? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there might be an occasion that I might want to talk about a rabbit, but it might be the 200th word that I learned or something, you know? For example, yeah. Well, maybe a rabbit would be really useful to, like, a seven-year-old who wants a rabbit, and their favorite animal is a rabbit, and that's what they talk about in their English class or something, but... Yeah. But yeah, so I think it's hard to be a language learning app geared toward the general populace, because the general populace has so much variety, so... Mm -hmm. That is true. But there are some language apps, like HelloTalk and italki, that's I-T-A-L-K-I, and Hello Talk is actually based here in Shenzhen, I think. Oh, okay. Those are both language learning apps that enable you to communicate with native speakers. And I haven't actually tried them, but it's definitely been on the on my list of things to try, like Hello mm-hmm. Talk. You can send voice messages over Hello Talk, and for example, if you're talking to somebody in Chinese, you can get the message from them translated into English and Chinese is written in basically hieroglyphs or pictures, which are characters, and you can get those characters translated into the pronunciation as well, which is not something that's super common in Chinese. Cool. Yeah. So if you are looking for a language learning app, I would definitely recommend one in which you can interact with a real person because, I mean, maybe start out with one that's more AI, but I am a firm believer that interacting with humans is a much better teacher than interacting with machines. Yeah. I mean, you'll learn things, obviously, that you could never learn just by reading a sentence or reading a paragraph or listening to a conversation. And you have the opportunity also to make mistakes, as you were saying earlier, to make mistakes and learn from them. Yeah. And I think that's that kind of leads us into the cons of language learning apps. I guess mostly comparing them to more traditional methods. So uh, a human teacher can explain the correct use of a word and the correct grammar, and they can also expand on words. So for example, my Chinese teacher will be like, oh, this mean this word means fragrant and i've known that this word means fragrant but the other day she was like oh yeah it also means tasty yes that's the same word because it was in the right context we were talking about Hmm. things that are delicious so it's nice having somebody be like like help you make those connections that might be harder to just make in your own memory yeah or i don't know not having a person to consult i think is also I mean, you might have had that, even if it occurred to you, is that the same word? And then you have to look for it right? without having somebody to consult and say like, oh, it's the same because X or... Exactly, yeah. It's related because of this reason, you know? Yes, yeah. That's exactly very well said, yeah. So just having somebody to consult and also, so that's a really, that's a much faster connection, somebody who already knows that. And you have that connection, you have that memory. So creating memories of interacting with a person, I think, are always stronger than memories of interacting with machines. Yeah. I mean, in the end, you're learning a language to communicate. You're not learning it to just be randomly fluent by yourself and you never communicate with anybody. Again, very well said, Rachel. (laughs) (laughs) 
you're just killing it today. <laughs> I didn't know that that was very well said, but it, it was. It does make sense to me. <laughs> you're not just like in yeah. your own little bubble. I mean, to say. Yeah, no, it, it's totally true. Like, I mean, and I am not trying to sell my language services. God knows I spend enough time speaking English to foreign speakers and trying to help them speak it. That's not what I'm trying to do <laughs> right now. I'm not trying to make money off of my language teaching skills. But I'm I'm definitely an advocate of uh, learning a language through a human. And I pay something like $25 an hour for my Chinese lessons and I spend two hours a week with my teacher and I think it's worth every penny because her time is so valuable to me you know mm-hmm. yeah definitely and you take live Spanish lessons as well I do There are group classes and at the moment I'm going five days a week Yes, look at you. You're such a boss. Spanish class taking boss. It's so fun too. <laughs> so Yeah. I love group classes. That's really mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. And finally, as far as language learning apps for me, nothing beats flashcards. I have kind of a flashcard system built so maybe I'll take a picture of this and put it in on our Instagram for the week. Um, Mm -hmm. But like what I do is I have, I'll take a class on Monday and then later in the week, I'll take my notes from that class and summarize them on the next page of my notebook. So on the left side of the page is the Chinese and on the right side is the translations into English. So I take a picture of it and I'll zoom in on the left side of the page and quiz myself from Chinese to English And then once I've learned that, I zoom in on the right side of the page and quiz myself from English to Chinese. And it takes like, after you've summarized it, it takes like less than 10 minutes to get it and then just reviews later on. That makes a huge difference. I think it's faster and I think it's better than my experience with language learning apps personally. Okay. Yeah, and if you are more technologically inclined, so you do it in a notebook, right? Mm-hmm. But you could also use something like Quizlet or some other digital flashcard service. Totally, yeah. No, and I, I wish that I had the patience to sit down with Quizlet and put everything into flashcards for myself. This is just like the fastest way that I know that I'm going to do it. But the however you can learn your vocabulary and you know that you're actually going to get it done, whichever way works best for you, um, do it and do it consistently. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. So let's let's take a look at the actual research of learning language as an adult. Yes. Did this article give you hope? Yes. It was actually very encouraging. Yes, for me as well. Because I remember as a child, I don't remember the name of the company, but they had ads on TV all the time that were like, did you know that you stop having the same ability to learn a language after the age of 12 and Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. And so 
by the time I reached 11, I was like, well, I pretty much missed that. You know, it's too late for me. (laughs) How old were you when you started learning Spanish? I guess I was 12 or something. Ah, okay, yeah. Yeah, so I know I agree that most articles and mass media will tell you that it's impossible to really learn a language well unless you start before you're 10 or 12. Mm -hmm. But actually, that's not true. So according to this research by MIT scientists, Mm -hmm. uh, around 8 to 10 years of exposure, many learners who started well into adulthood do just as well as many native speakers on a very difficult language test that tests pedantics and um, really subtle meanings of Mm -hmm. sentences. Yeah. They all got like over 90% or something like that. Yeah, like the bottom 5% of native speakers were at about 90, so that's what they considered to be native level. Or near native, I think. Mm -hmm. Native-like? Native-like, yes, that was the term they used. I liked how they talked about the misrepresentation of the data Mm -hmm. in other sources, in other articles, or in other commonly cited things about the same research, but it's really misunderstood or it's not really what the data says. So as we just said, a lot of people say that you can't really learn a language after a certain age. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't take into account all these other factors that are also happening at a similar age, 17, 18. Yeah. What I thought was really interesting was they also considered social things that are happening around that age, like either you're leaving school, you're entering the workforce, or you're going to university or something of the like. So your ability or opportunity to study a language greatly changes at that age. Yeah, you're not spending hours and hours a day in a classroom just absorbing information. You're actually getting life experience. So I agree that was interesting because, yeah, your job changes a lot. Or your life changes a lot, your lifestyle yeah, at that point. definitely. And it might change to be more studious if you're going to university, or you might directly enter the workforce, and then you lose that opportunity for the most part. Yeah. Here we have a quote from the researchers, and it says, Studies that compare children and adults exposed to the comparable material in the lab or during the initial months of an immersion program show that adults actually perform better, not worse, than children, perhaps because they deploy conscious strategies and transfer what they know about their first language. Yeah. I mean, I can definitely relate to that. When I came to China a year ago, I couldn't speak any Chinese. I could say, like, hello and thank you. That was about it. Now, I am definitely not fluent But I can usually communicate what I need to, and I have a lot of the vocabulary. And so there are a lot of words that my students are learning that I've already learned. I haven't learned everything that they've learned. Like, we were talking about Valentine's Day vocabulary, and I have no idea what roses are in Chinese (laughs) or anything like that. But yeah, there are a lot of things that I know that they haven't gotten to yet just because I have a good frame of reference from English and I know what I need to be able to communicate. 
Yeah, that's a really good point. It comes more quickly for children a lot of times, according to the article, because of the amount of exposure they have compared to adults. So you said you spend two hours a week with your teacher, plus the time that you spend studying on your own, whereas a child in school might spend five hours a week at least so obviously they're spending more time with it they're getting more information so they're going to learn at a faster pace but that's faster like in chronological time but not in amount of time that they've spent with it does that make sense Mm, yeah yeah (laughs) the amount of time that they've spent with it yeah like you maybe would learn faster based on two hours a week with a teacher, you would probably learn faster than a child. Right. Yeah, well, I have a more active approach to learning, whereas they are not active learners. You have more experience thinking about those types of things, like grammatical things. You've also learned a couple of other languages. So, Mm. of course, you have more to compare it to and more to relate it to. Exactly, yeah. And there's another really good quote that I loved from this article. It says, If you're thinking that this paper provides some reason why you're not fluently speaking French after your three months of using some language app game, you are wrong. (laughs) Children won't learn a language masterfully that way either. So you will not learn French in three months. You're not going to do it. Yeah. (laughs) No matter what the ads say. It's all about consistency and long-term studying. Yeah, definitely. Children don't learn that fast. Adults don't learn that fast. But adults actually are extremely good at learning a language. Yeah. And I thought that it was really interesting that they talked how quickly you can actually get to a level, that kind of maybe the level that you're at, where you can communicate most things that you need to, but aren't mm-hmm. fluent. And they said within about a year, I think, you could get to that yeah. that point. And that is hugely encouraging. Yeah. Yeah, it's very useful. It seems like it's going to take you years and years and years before you can, like, really feel confident. But really, that's not the case. Exactly, yeah. I mean, I know a lot of people in China who just haven't spent any time with it. And so they really haven't picked up anything. Mm-hmm. But if you set your mind to it and you say, okay, I'm going to learn this language, it's kind of like losing weight, you know? Just like you might not feel like you're seeing progress for a long time, mm-hmm. but eventually I felt the same way with my other languages. Like I keep working and working and working. And then one day I, I'm like, oh, oh, I am speaking Spanish, but it's not like something that just flipped on overnight, That's, you know? Yeah, exactly. <sighs> Have you ever dreamed in Spanish? I'm sure you have at this point. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't dreamed in Chinese yet, but I do remember the first time I started dreaming in another language, and I woke up really confused, (laughs) like kind of like dazed. So yeah, well, let's talk about like some tips from our experience learning another language. Mm -hmm. Why don't you start? Okay, well, we talked about kind of what I think so far. Number one, don't be afraid to make mistakes in front of native speakers. I saw a really great quote once. It said, a foreign accent is a sign of bravery. Mm -hmm. So somebody had the courage to try something that maybe they're not comfortable with and make mistakes. Yeah, I really like that too. Me too, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, it can be easy to feel like, oh, 
I don't sound like a native speaker or like... Or I sound like a baby. Yeah. Or I sound like a whatever nationality you Mm -hmm. are. But, I mean, you're trying and that's very important. Mm -hmm. It's a lot more than a lot of people can say. Yeah. I think it's also helpful in the long term, if you can, to try and go to a place where that language is spoken. Yeah. That's where you're really going to see, you know, the daily use. And I know it's not possible for everyone, but if you can, that's a really great way to use it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think you also don't really register the fact that the vocabulary you're using is useful until you go to that foreign country, to the place where that's spoken. There are just these little phrases that you get when you first move somewhere. I remember I was in Germany and I bought something at a convenience store, in a pharmacy or something. And I'm walking away from the cash register and the guy goes, and I'm like, what? What? And I realized he was asking me if I wanted the receipt. (laughs) And Uh he had just said, like, small piece of paper. (laughs) And, uh, And so in class I would have heard or learned, like, do you want the receipt? And it might have been a totally different sentence. So going somewhere and actually using the application of the language makes a huge difference. Yes, definitely. Coming to Spain for the first time was really weird. Well, some vocabulary too, but also grammatically, like using only the informal you, like they never use instead. Right. And using the informal plural you, which is not really used anywhere else. So like at the very beginning, I really couldn't use it very well because, and I think in like seventh, eighth grade, they were like, okay, here's the vosotros form, but nobody uses it except for Spain. And I was right. like, yeah. okay, I don't need to learn that. And then where do I move? Uh-huh. Spain. So Spain. <laughs> <laughs> now I feel pretty comfortable using it, but it was really weird at the beginning. Yeah, I think my lucky star is that I had a Spanish teacher who had studied in Spain. I think she was American, but she had studied in Spain, and she really drilled the vosotros form. Mm -hmm. My other Spanish teachers didn't drill it later on, but her teaching stuck with me. And then when I eventually did study in Spain, I was like, Señora Maqueda, thank you so much. Yeah. That's really, really helpful. I had a couple Spanish professors in college. I had two who were from Spain. And so they would use the vosotros form and I would understand it. But I wasn't as comfortable, you know, in all the forms Mm -hmm. and all the past and the future and subjunctives and everything like that. Imperative Mm -hmm. is kind of wonky. Yeah. The command form. Yeah. (laughs) Imaginados. I remember hearing that for the first time. Like, wait. Oh. Another one that I really, really believe is long-term consistency over short-term bursts of language learning. Mm-hmm. I was talking to a friend a few months ago, actually, who he was like, oh, I have a three-week break. I'm going to try to find an, a Chinese teacher who can teach me like five hours a day during those three weeks. And I don't know, I've, I've in the US again at this language learning company, we arranged for a German guy to come think it was two or three weeks for eight hours a day and by the end of six hours he was always just totally burnt out and it might have just been two weeks but you can only pack so much information into your brain so 
I, again, I'm a firm believer in long-term consistency. If I think the shorter language learning schools are really great, but they're more useful once you get to a certain level. Mm-hmm. And you can take in more information and build more complicated grammar structures. So you have more to build off of. If you're just starting from scratch, you really need time to let these new sounds sink into your brain. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel about it. Yeah, I think that's true. And you had that with Korean as well, yeah? Which? Well, what was your experience with Korean and did you think it was useful? I took Korean intensive two hours a day for a semester. Mm -hmm. So 10 hours a week. And it was helpful, definitely, because two hours every single day that I had to be speaking Korean. Mm -hmm. And so we learned a lot of vocabulary. We had, I think we had vocabulary quizzes like three times a week. Something like that. So we really had to learn the vocabulary. And one day would be vocab and one day would be grammar or something like that. Mm -hmm. And by the end, I could have like a somewhat decent conversation. That's not to say it would be very stimulating or anything, but it could. (laughs) Like I could understand the basic gist of stuff. So yeah, it was helpful. But now I haven't used it in so long that it's gone. But it was useful at the moment while I was living there. Yeah. No, and I think that's not too much also. 10 hours a week is is not bad. But like the short-term bursts for just like a month or so and uh, a lot of hours a day, I think, especially if you're just a beginner, they're not quite as useful. But I think two hours a day for several months, that sounds that sounds like it would be a good introduction, especially if you were going to be there for a longer period of time. Mm-hmm. Even Yeah, it would have been useful for more time too, but even for just the amount of time that I was there, like it did help me to communicate and to do things that I need to do. Yeah, I bet. For sure. Do you have any more tips? Um, This is kind of a standard one, but I do think it's really helpful to try and consume media in your language. Yes. That's kind of what I was thinking for the next one too. Like movies or podcasts or books or just the newspaper Mm -hmm. music yeah music everything that you can get your hands on Mm -hmm. if you're a low level and you can read like one simple article and look up a few new words for you that's going to help you a lot because you also start to see the grammatical structures and how they work and how people actually use the vocabulary and stuff like that Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah, and I mean, especially if you find, if you can find a music group that you really like and start singing along with it, Mm -hmm. then that is so great because that will help you learn vocabulary and grammatical structures, Uh, especially if you can start memorizing the music. A lot of my German and Spanish, not, not so much Spanish, Spanish was more traditional, but I learned German kind of in my late teens, early 20s, mm-hmm. and a lot of my vocabulary comes from German bands. Okay. <laughs> and some German phrases I would hear and I would be like, what does that mean? Like, I know the vocabulary, but I don't understand the meaning, so I would look it up, mm-hmm. just trying to sing along with them. That's cool. Yeah. So I haven't gotten to that point in Chinese yet. I'm still like, if I hear a song I like, I'll look it up and I'll be like, I still don't understand a word. (laughs) But I haven't tried it for a few months. I should try it again soon. See if any progress has been made. (laughs) There's also a website that I've used both for myself and for my own students. It's called like Lyric... Lyric Training, I think. Lyrics Training. They don't have every language for sure. 
but they have English, Spanish, Portuguese, French, Italian, German, Dutch, and Japanese. Hmm. But basically, it has just regular pop songs, and you can choose your level. If you're, like, beginner, intermediate, advanced, or, like, fluent, something like Mm -hmm. that. And it shows you the video, and you just listen to the lyrics, and then you see most of the lyrics except for some gaps. And then you have to write the words out as you hear them. Oh, that's really good. That's awesome. Like, almost dictation except songs. Yeah. And it's like a game because if you don't get it, then you can play it again, but you only have like a certain number of times. Like you can recover time, but ultimately the time is ticking down, ticking down, the more times you have to repeat. And so if you lose your time, then you lose the song. (laughs) Ah, Nice. Yeah. Definitely like gamification is useful. Mm -hmm. That's a great idea. Yeah, and oh, another thing directly related to that is just playing games in the other language. Like, Mm -hmm. in class we always play, like, Taboo or Charades or, you know, different things. Right. Pasa Palabra, I don't know how that's called in English, but... Pasa Palabra, pass pass the word? Yeah, I don't know how it's called in English, I think. That was so so Spanglish of you. I don't know how it's called. I don't know what it's called. Oh my god. We need to do an episode on like that kind of thing where you start to mix the two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I agree. It's fun. <laughs> Next language episode we can do mixing up your your second and third languages with your mother tongue. Yeah. <laughs> well. Yeah, that's fun. Okay, well, I think that pretty much covers it. You just took the words right out of, out of my mouth. Consuming media, reading books. Oh, great stuff. That's how I'm going to review my Spanish and German this year. Reading books aloud. Okay. Because I'll nice. be taking a test on Spanish and German later in the year for teaching. Oh, wow. So I just ordered a book on Amazon that I'm going to pick up when I go back to the U.S. in April, briefly, in Spanish. And I got one on Kindle in German. Cool. One thing that really makes a difference is I, I sit down in the evening and I spend like half an hour reading aloud, just like practicing the feel of the words in my mouth. Yeah. That is not only good for my speaking... It's good for my comprehension because I hear the words. And then it's also good for my vocabulary because I'm getting in new vocabulary and reviewing. So it's all good stuff. That's for awesome. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So let us know your opinions on this week's topic. We would love to hear from you. Questions about learning a language as an adult or experience having done it yourself. Mm-hmm. All are welcome. Yes. And it's time, finally... Lost in translation. Woo! It's back, baby. Lost in translation. Yes. This week we are hearing from actually my good friend Alex, who currently lives in Chiang Mai. I actually interviewed him while we were there about his Lost in Translation moment. So let's give it a listen. So I'm Alex, I've been living in Thailand for a little while, and I learned about a really funny Lost in Translation moment in Thai, which is that the word for banana is kruai, kruai, and the word for uh, penis is gluai, and kruai and gluai means sounds very, very similar in a lot of Falang when they go to say, you know, 
Can I have a banana? They're actually asking, Can I have a penis? <laughs> or, or, you know, Mikroai uh, Suk. Do you have any ripe bananas? Might be Mikroai Suk. Do you have any ripe pieces around here that I might be able to buy? <laughs> Yeah. It's good for stamina. Yeah. That's a keeper. That's fantastic. It's <laughs> very important to know. <laughs> That's so funny. Super, super important distinction. Yeah, but, you know, I can't help but wonder if it happened because of some kind of a, you know, there's, you know, the shape, the... Yes. You know what? I didn't think of that until you said it, but it could be just like, could be a shape thing. Yeah. I can't help but see that similarity. (laughs) Maybe it was originally the same word. Maybe so. Thank you so much, Alex, for your Lost in Translation moment. Yes. That, I already miss you. That made me giggle a lot. Yes. <laughs> I, I think our listeners will have enjoyed it as well. Yeah. So, wonderful. Side note, pretty sure we were a little drunk when we recorded that. <laughs> so, yes, send us your hilarious or not hilarious, that's also okay, Lost in Translation moments. Uh, from learning another language or culture. We'd love to hear from you anytime. Yes. You can submit it over the voice recorder on our website or send us a voice note to languagenerds2earth at gmail.com. Perfect. And go ahead and subscribe to the podcast while you're doing technological things. Yes. Just hit a little button. And that way you'll be sure to get all the new episodes when they're released. Yes. Especially all of our language learning app friends while you're on that device. Just go ahead and do that. Follow us on social media. We are on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest. And please, if you have a moment, leave us a review on iTunes. That would be greatly appreciated. That really helps people see us and more people to find the show. Yes. And thank you. We have seen you liking us on Facebook. We see you new likes. Yeah. Hello. (laughs) I recently posted a few blogs about my travels around Thailand as well. Yeah. So those went up on the Facebook and the Twitter feed. Yes. Check Um, those out. So you can go there for the links. Yeah. And our next episode will be about culture. Mm-hmm. Not sure where we're going with it yet, but that's okay. We'll get there. And tell your friends if you enjoyed it. Yes. All right. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Yep. Yeah. Have a great week, everybody. Bye. Bye. <laughs>